Last time in our study of God's covenants with men, we looked at 2 Corinthians 3, and we saw that there in that chapter, Paul is making a comparison between the glory of the old covenant and the glory of the new covenant. And he says that the glory of the new covenant is much greater than the glory of the old covenant. And that glory we behold in the face of Jesus Christ, seen in a mirror, and while we behold that glory of Christ, we are being transformed into that same glory. This time we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And in this chapter, what we're going to see especially is that Paul is talking about God bringing the Jews, or the Gentiles rather, into his covenant with the Jews. It's not that he makes a separate covenant with the Gentiles. That's not at all what Paul says here. He says God brings the Gentiles into his covenant with the Jews. Paul is, of course, in the letter to the Ephesians, writing to primarily Gentile Christians. And in the first 10 verses of chapter 2, he describes in well-known terms the gospel of grace. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but God has quickened you. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now in verse 11 he says, therefore. So there is a connection between verses 11 and following and verses 1 to 10. And I think the connection is this that here in verses 11, Paul is really reviewing that grace of God to the Gentiles, but reviewing that grace of God from a different perspective. In verses 1 to 10, he had reviewed it from the perspective of the life that God had given to those who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now he reviews that grace of God from the perspective of God's covenant and he teaches the Gentiles that God now includes them in his covenant promises. You were Gentiles, he says, but now he has brought you into the glorious house of God. That great symbol, Old Testament symbol, of God's dwelling with his people, or of God being the God of his people. Now, at the beginning of these verses, we have uh, strong language that describes the former condition of the Gentiles. And I want to pay uh, some attention to that because it's here that we see the um, terrible condition in which the Gentiles of the Old Testament lived. But note at the beginning that he calls them Gentiles in the flesh. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. And I think already here Paul is anticipating somewhat the points that he is going to be making in the following verses. He says, you were Gentiles, but that being Gentiles was in the flesh. And he's uh, talking about 
those Gentile Christians there in the city of Ephesus. Your being Gentiles, in other words, had to do really only with the flesh. It didn't have to do with your spiritual condition. According to your spiritual condition, you are Jews. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God, Romans chapter 2. They are Jews in the spirit, but he says you were Gentiles in the flesh, and you were called on circumcision, that is, you did not have the sign of the promise in your flesh, as the Jews did, but the Jews had circumcision, but their circumcision was a circumcision of the flesh, not of the heart, necessarily, anyway. So it is the circumcision of the flesh that is calling you Gentiles, but you should understand that when they call you Gentiles, they are speaking only of your flesh. They are not speaking of your spirit. He's preparing them to understand, then, the tremendous difference that Christ has made for them in making them members of Israel and in circumcising their hearts. Now, in the following verse, then, Paul uses a whole series of phrases to describe that old condition of being Gentiles, what they were before their conversion. And the first thing he says is, you were without Christ. And this does not mean simply that Christ had not saved them. It does mean that, and that's bad enough, of course. That's a terrible thing. But it means even that Christ had not been revealed to them. They did not have the shadows of Christ from the law that had been given to the Jews. They had, did not have, prior to Paul's coming to them, the preaching of Christ. They were without Christ absolutely and utterly. They had no access to him. They had no knowledge of him. They had no association with him. They could not know him because he was not present there, even by the preaching of the gospel. So that's first, you were without Christ. Secondly, he says you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. I think the New International Version has a somewhat better uh, translation of that phrase. They translate it as excluded from the citizenship of Israel. Or perhaps even better, alienated from the citizenship of Israel. That word citizenship is used only one other time in the Old Test in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 22, verse 28, when the Roman commander of Jerusalem was uh, preparing to beat Paul, Paul told him that he was a Roman citizen. And the commander then said to uh, Paul, it was with a great sum of money that I purchased this citizenship. That's the word we have in our text. They were not citizens of Israel. 
And in fact, they could not be citizens of Israel. They were alienated from that citizenship. It was by the purpose and will of God that they were alienated from that citizenship. God had set apart the Jews in the Old Testament as his peculiar people. They, among them God lived, and to them God revealed himself. And so there was nothing for the Gentiles. They could not come, except in a very few exceptions, into the nation of Israel or have their citizenship in Israel. And this was a major disaster for the Gentiles. Romans chapter 3 talks about one benefit that belonged to, to the Jews in the Old Testament. Paul says there that to them, that is to the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. They had the word of God. The Gentiles did not. And in Romans 9, he goes into even more detail about the benefits that belonged to the Jews. Verses 4 and 5, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. So to Israel pertained the adoption as children of God, the glory of the grace and salvation of God, the covenants of God, that is, those relationships established with them by the oath of God to Abraham, to David, and to Israel on Sinai, the giving of the law, and that was a good and beneficial law that he gave to them. We should not look at it negatively. The service of God, they were the ones who had the um, open to them the possibility of entering into God's house and bringing him their worship and the promises. And so when Paul says that you were alienated from the citizenship of Israel, he's saying none of this was yours. You did not have access even to this. You did not have access to the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. You were cut off from those things. There was no possibility that you could participate in those things. The Jews were the people of God. The nation of Israel was the nation chosen by God and set aside by God for particular blessings. He dwelt among them, not among the Gentiles. And therefore, they were strangers from the covenants of promise. That's the third uh, phrase that the apostle uses here. Now note about that phrase, covenants of promise, that it indicates that there's more than one covenant. And that, of course, we've seen in the past studies. There was God's covenant with Adam, God's covenant with Noah, God's covenant with Abraham, and so on. All those different covenants. But Paul has in mind here, especially, of course, the covenants of God with Abraham, with Israel on Sinai, and with David. Those were the covenants in which God made his promises to a peculiar people, a chosen people out of all the nations 
of the earth. And they were covenants of promise. That is, they were covenants which promised future blessings for his people. And those blessings were many and great and glorious. They were not, however, the covenant of fulfillment, which we have now in the New Testament. They were covenants of promise. But what Paul says here is, when you were Gentiles, then you were strangers from those covenants. You could not participate in those covenants. No promises were made to you. You did not hear those promises. You could not have anything to do with the covenant people because there was no way for you to come to them. You were, therefore, in the fourth place, without hope. You lived in darkness, and there was no light coming to you. You walked in death, and there was no way to life shown to you. This was by the will of God. There was not even the possibility, therefore, that you could escape the darkness and death in which you lived. Fifthly, he says, you were without God in the world. God did not make himself known to you. God did not give to you even the possibility of knowing him. You were finally, he says in verse 13, far off. And this far off emphasizes this idea that not only did they not have the covenants of promises, but they were excluded from them by the purpose and will of God. So this was a terrible condition in which the Gentiles lived. They were without hope, without God, far off from the covenants of promise and the citizenship of Israel. But, the apostle says, now, in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, brought near means more than simply brought into proximity to. It means more than brought into proximity to citizenship in Israel. More than being brought into proximity to the covenants of promise and to hope and to God and so on. It means to be brought into connection with. It means that they stood alongside the Jews in the presence of God. It means that they were brought near in the same sense that the Jews had been brought near. Psalm 148 verse 14 makes a reference to that being brought near by, of the Jews. And he has exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, of the children of Israel, a people near to him. It means they lived in close relationship with him. It means they had fellowship with him. They have been, and so when the Gentiles are brought near, they are brought into that same 
proximity to God, which gives them fellowship, which establishes a relationship with him, which makes him their God and they his people. And so through this being brought near, they have access to Christ. They have access to citizenship in Israel. They have access to the covenants of promise. They have hope. They have God in the world. The idea then is not that they are come near as a stranger might be brought near to your house without being allowed into the house. It means that they have been brought near in the sense that they have been brought into the very house of God itself and stand with the Jews in the presence of God. Whatever you were cut off from before, Paul says, you now have access to. And this, he says then, is in Christ. And that's an important phrase, especially here in Ephesians. If you look at that phrase in the book of Ephesians, but also in other writings of the Apostle Paul, you find that that phrase has to do with being a part of the body of Christ, being united to Christ in a living connection with him being a member of him so that his life comes to you and so that you live in and by him. And the apostle is saying the Jews were in Christ. The believing Jews now, in fact, are also in Christ. And now you are also in Christ. And the means by which you are in Christ is his blood. You have been brought near by his blood. His blood has been shed. And that shedding of the blood, which was a fulfillment of the shedding of the blood of the bulls and goats in the Old Testament, is a shedding of blood which uh, covers the whole world, not just the nation of the Jews. In verses 14 to 18, then, the apostle makes... Um, further statements about the significance of this being brought near. And we want to pay some close attention to those statements. First of all, he says, He, that is Christ, is our peace. He is our peace. And the apostle does not mean there he is our peace with God. No, what he means there is Christ is the peace between Jew and Gentile. Not just he has made peace, but he is that peace. And why is he that peace? Because they both are in him. And it is only as they are in him that they have peace between themselves. The enmity that was between them has been taken away. So that's first. He has become our peace, the peace between Jew and Gentile. But the next phrase is even stronger than that. He has made both one. What were in the past two separate peoples are now one people in Christ. He has made Jew and Gentile one people. And here's the significance. 
in which Paul continues to develop throughout this passage, that there is no longer in Christ a distinction between Jew and Gentile. He has made both one. It makes absolutely no difference, Paul is saying, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile anymore. In Christ, that distinction is wiped out. It doesn't exist any longer. He has made both one. Thirdly, he has broken down the middle wall of separation, and that middle wall of separation is a wall that God himself had built. God had chosen Israel to be his people out of all the nations of the earth. God had set apart Israel as his peculiar people in the Old Testament. He had, as it were, built a wall of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he had said, so far my grace extends, not any farther. Within this wall I will dwell. Within this wall will be my people. Outside this wall I will not dwell. Outside are not my people. God had created this separation between them. But now Paul says that wall is broken down. It's gone. It no longer exists. There is no such separation between Jew and Gentile any longer. Thirdly, he says, Christ has abolished the enmity, the law of commandments and ordinances. And when he talks about the law of commandments and ordinances, he means, of course, circumcision itself and all the shadows of the Old Testament. He means the temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood, and everything that the Jews had that distinguished them from the Gentiles. God has abolished all of those commandments, not through uh, just destroying them, but through fulfilling them in Christ himself. But those commandments had created enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles. They had not only set the Jews apart from the Gentiles, but they had, of course, uh, atoned for the sins of the Jews. They had brought the Jews into the house of God through the cleansing rites. They had, in other words, sanctified the Jews. They were the means of grace to God in, his old, in, in the Old Testament. And so through these things, the, the Jews had become not just a people named the people of God, but a people forgiven and sanctified by God so that they were fit to dwell with him. And this um, sanctifying and forgiving work of God had so separated them from the Gentiles that there was enmity between Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles hated the Jews for their righteousness, as Cain hated Abel for his righteousness. And the Jews lived separately from the Gentiles and were at enmity with the Gentiles because they saw the wickedness of the Gentiles and they did not want any part of that wickedness. We're describing the ideal condition in the Old Testament, of course. But this was what God intended. He, he established the antithesis between Jew and Gentile. He put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And that 
Enmity was an enmity which followed the lines primarily of Jew and Gentile in the Old Testament. And now Paul says that enmity's gone. It's wiped out again. It's destroyed. God has taken it away. That enmity exists between believer and unbeliever, between the church and the world, of course, still. But those were the spiritual realities to which Israel and the Gentiles of the Old Testament pointed us. So he has abolished the enmity. Fourthly, Paul says he has created in himself one new man. Now, there are a couple of things that we should notice about that. In the first place, notice that Paul says he has created one new man. He doesn't even say he has created one new people, which he could say. Peter uses that language in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, I think it is. You are a peculiar people, he says to the believers. But Paul doesn't use the language of one new people. He says one new man. This is how close Jew and Gentile have become in the New Testament. They are one new man. There are not two men. There are not two peoples. There are not two separate entities. There is only one entity. And that is an entity which exists in Christ. So that's the first thing. Jew and Gentile have become one because of their connection with Christ. There is no distinction between them any longer. But notice, too, that he uses the word create. He has created in himself one new man. This is a creative work of God. It's a work that relates, therefore, to his first creation, the creation of the heavens and the earth in the beginning, and it's a work which relates also to his creation of Israel to be his people at Mount Sinai. That kind of language is found in especially the prophet Isaiah, a people created or formed by God to be his people. But now this is the new creation not that creation which God did in the beginning, not that creation which God did even in the Noahic flood, not that creation which God did in forming Israel to be his people, but now a new creative work. And this new creative work is a creative work which brings in, involves both the Jews and the Gentiles. And this creative work, which he does, in the making Jew and Gentile one new man is a work which begins with regeneration because it is by regeneration that both Jew and Gentile become new creatures. And this new creation then that he makes through regeneration, the regeneration of individuals, and through the uniting of Jews and Gentiles into one new man is the beginning of the new creation of the new heavens and the new earth in the last days. That new heavens and new earth begin already to exist here in this world, 
by regeneration and by the making of Jew and Gentile into one new man. So those four phrases, first of all, he's made both one, he's broken down the middle wall of separation, he's abolished the enmity, he has created one new man. And he has done this because he has then to go on now, reconciled both to God. He is their peace, he has made both one, but he has made both one by reconciling both to God. This is how that enmity between Jew and Gentile, that separation between Jew and Gentile is done away. Because Christ has, by his blood, reconciled both of them to God. He has done this in one body, only one body, not two bodies, one body. And he has done it through the cross for both. The means of the putting to death of the enmity between Jew and Gentile is reconciliation by the blood of Christ in one body. And then he says, Paul says in addition, and he came and preached peace. So Christ first shed his blood on the cross and he was exalted, raised from the dead and exalted to heaven. He has reconciled both Jew and Gentile to God and now he comes to preach peace and to preach a peace that is with God and between Jew and Gentile. He preaches the same peace to both Jew and Gentile. He preaches it to those who are near, the Jews, and he preaches it to those who are far off, the Gentiles. And through this preaching of peace, then, which was, by the way, a preaching of peace by Jews, the apostles were Jews, to Gentiles. The Gentiles are given access to the Father by the one Spirit of God. This work that Paul has been describing in verses 14 to 18 is a Trinitarian work. Christ offers the sacrifice that accomplishes everything for the peace of Jew and Gentile and the peace of both with God. Christ sends his spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to both Jew and Gentile to give both by that one spirit access to the one Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles then have been made one new man. We must not speak of separate purposes of God, separate promises of God, separate people of God. Jew and Gentile are one in the New Testament through the blood of Christ. It makes no difference to God 
any longer whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. There's no special privilege in being a Jew. There's no special uh, disqualification in being a Gentile. All are on the same level, treated in exactly the same way. And God brings them both into peace with himself through his one spirit, by the one sacrifice of the one Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. There is one faith and one people. And so, then in verses 19 to 22, Paul says to these Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. That is, you are no longer to, no longer to be considered by Jewish Christians to be strangers and foreigners. You are fellow citizens with the saints, fellow citizens with all the saints, the Old Testament saints, Adam and Noah and Abraham and David and all the believers of the Old Testament, all the saints in the New Testament, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Why? Because you have become a part of the household of God. This is a term that God uses of his people in the Old Testament frequently. They are the house of God or the household of God. And they are the household of God because he lives in a house and brings into that house a people, a family to be his own. And he is the head of that house. And Paul is saying here, now God is bringing you Gentiles into that same household. You belong to that same household. And you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets of which Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Now there's some uh, perhaps difference of opinion about that phrase, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Some would interpret that to mean the foundation of the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. So the phrase lim is limited to the um, New Testament. And there's some grammatical reason for taking it that way. Personally, I think that in this particular case, Paul means the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament prophets, along with the apostles of the New Testament, form the foundation of the church. But uh, we can't um, defend that point, I think, uh, convincingly on the, on the grounds of uh, the grammar of the text. And so we, we will not push that point. But let's just note that if the Gentiles are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, what Paul is saying here is that that is the house of God. As he makes very clear in the following verse, this is the house of God into which God is bringing you, which house existed also in the Old Testament. So if he's not saying that the Gentiles are being built on the foundation of the apostles of the New Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament, then what he's saying is that both Jews and Gentiles are built on the foundation of the apostles 
and prophets of the New Testament. So the Jews, the believing Jews, are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets of the New Testament and the Gentiles along with them. So it really doesn't make any difference to the fundamental point here that Jew and Gentiles belong to the same household. And of that household, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. That house of God is a building that is being fitted together by God to make a temple clear reference to the Old Testament temple of God, the house of God among his people, that place of worship where God's people gathered. And that building is the dwelling place of God through the Spirit. That, that God who is the father of his people in Christ, by the blood of Christ and by the sending out of the Spirit of Christ, that triune God, he makes that his dwelling place. And he builds on that foundation then of the apostles and prophets, believers, both Jews and Gentiles, in Old and New Testaments. So what we have in this last part of Ephesians 2 is the same Christ doing the same thing for both Jew and Gentile. The same triune God to whom both Jew and Gentile have access through the Son and by the Spirit. You have one new man of Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God participating with the people of God in all the benefits God had foreshadowed in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Christ. They are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets of which Christ is the cornerstone. They are no longer uh, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel without God and without hope in the world and so on. They are no longer strangers from the covenants of promise, which have now become the covenant of fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile are one in Christ, one through the circumcision of the heart and one through the baptism that Christ's blood provides. May God bless you with his word.